Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis. In case you're a new listener, the purpose of my podcast is to help grow the sport of motorcycling by helping riders of all levels, whether they are new to motorcycling or not, increase their knowledge and skills so that they are better, safer riders and are getting everything they want out of motorcycling, whether it's on the street, on the track, or maybe even as a fan or a participant in some form of motorcycle racing. This is episode 30, titled Talking Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. In this episode, I have a great discussion with Paul Carruthers and Sean Bice, who, aside from being avid motorcyclists and huge fans of motorcycle racing, are the co-hosts of Moto America's own podcast, and much more importantly, are a big part of the dedicated team that works mostly behind the scenes to make Moto America a professional, fascinating, exciting, and entertaining motorcycle racing series. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, October 9th, 2019, and is being published on Wednesday, October 23rd, 2019. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place, because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. I have two very special guests tonight. They are both fellow podcasters, although they've been at podcasting a little bit longer than I have. They are the co-hosts of the Moto America podcast, Off Track with Carruthers and Vice. They are currently up to episode 49, and they released their first episode in October of 2018. So welcome to Paul Carruthers, who is the communications manager for Moto America, and Sean Bice, who describes himself as the non or unofficial storyteller, writer, and I guess we could say general sidekick and straight man to Paul. So welcome, gentlemen. <laughs> ah, thanks for having us. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for having us. That's my, a great intro. <laughs> my, my, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. I know I had reached out to Paul maybe a couple of months ago, and I know how busy you guys are. In fact, it was kind of cool because... You know, I, I've actually been to three races this year. I was at the race in Coda, and then what was really cool was the last two rounds, the one at uh, New Jersey uh, Motorsports Park and then down at Barber, the final round. You know, I, I had contacted Paul, and he hooked me up with media credentials. So it was really cool, you know, being able to get full access to the facility. You know, I was taking photographs on, on the track, right, you know, right up against the, the guardrail, uh, and I had a chance to kind of hang out a little bit in the media center. And, and I could see, like, you guys are just busting your butts, like, running around like crazy. So uh, I, I could appreciate during the season thing, things are a little hectic. Have uh, things at least slowed down a little bit? Like, do you guys get a little bit of a respite before it heats up again? Yeah, it's actually kind of nice. Um, things have slowed down a lot, but it's also, it's funny because it's one of those things that's kind of a catch 22 because, um, you know, when it's so busy, you're hectic and you're, but you're pumping out a lot of content. When things slow down, we're still responsible for pumping out a lot of content. It's obviously not as easy to come by because, uh, you know, things aren't going on, but we're managing to get by and, uh, you know, Sean's keeping it busy and we're, we're going at it and, and doing as much as we can to, uh, you know, really, our goal in the off season is just to keep our fans entertained and uh, and up to speed with whatever's going on with our series, so that they can get excited as we are for for the coming season. So that's kind yeah. of how I look at it. No, that that's awesome, and and it's one of the reasons I thought it actually kind of worked out well that you know now was a good time for you guys because 
you know, one, one of my goals uh, is, you know, just as a fan and a spectator to do what I can to promote Mode America. And so the same thing, like, um, you know, not all my listeners are into racing and whatever, but I know quite a few of them are. Some of them do track days and, you know, some of them race, you know, either amateur or whatever. And it's actually kind of cool because uh, I had Chris Bays on actually a couple of times, you know, Twins Cup racer. And uh, yeah. he, he and I had actually done a little, he had suggested it. We did like a little giveaway thing. So we did like a little promotional thing to give away a weekend pass to Moto America to, to one of my listeners. Um, and the, the guy that won the pass actually, interestingly enough, had come across my podcast when he was first looking to get into motorcycling. So he went to the round, he went the full weekend to Pittsburgh and he just loved it. It was, it was so cool. Like the whole weekend, he's texting me like pictures and videos. He's like, Oh, check this out and look at this thing that just happened. So I was like, all right, Chris, awesome. I think we created a new, a new Moto America fan. So that, that, that worked out really well. Yeah. It's so good to hear anecdotes like that, Chris, about people that, you know, kind of like once I, I, it's that old saying, once they're seen, they're sold. But once, uh, once they see a race and kind of go, especially to it, you, you know, you kind of can't help but become a fan. You get invested in the riders and, you know, there's so many cool personalities. So that's a great story. And we love to hear that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's interesting because that gives me a chance to segue into this like little, little confession I have. And so, you know, it's actually interesting. I was, was going to mention at the beginning that I actually started covering Moto America before you guys started your podcast. Uh, last year, I started as a co-host on another motorcycle podcast called Throttled. And um, the, the two guys doing that were covering, you know, like Mo, uh, MotoGP and American Flat Track. And when I came on as a co-host, they're like, hey, Chris, you know, maybe it'd be kind of cool if we did some coverage in Moto America. You know, what do you think since we're not covering that? You know, and I was a little familiar with Moto America. Uh, you know, I was following MotoGP, not American flat track too much, like a little, a little world superbike. But I just seen, you know, a couple of Moto America races, or whatever. And 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 honestly, and and this is no criticism, right? And I'll, I'll get into all the things I love about Moto America as we get into the 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 episode. But I was like, ah, oh, like I don't know, like MotoGP is where it's at. Like, can I cover that? And then, uh, <laughs> you know, Larry could do like Moto America or whatever. Um, yeah, and, and just because, like I said, I didn't know it that well, and you had know, seen a couple races, and the camera coverage wasn't as good. It was kind of nonsense. But anyway, so the thing was, I'm like, all right, well, they're asking me to do this, so let, let me just dive in. And so, like right away, I went to Wikipedia, I found a really cool article on Moto America and how it got started with with Wayne Rainey and the guys that he's partnered with. And like from the first episode where I covered it, you know, actually I started up by saying, hey everyone, this is what Moto America is about. This is the five different classes. This is how the point system goes. And the more the more I learned about the teams and the racers and the bikes and the rules and really started to pay attention to the races, I, I honestly, I just I was bitten by the bug and, and I just became a total fan. And so it, it, it kind of totally flipped around where I was like, OK, good. You're covering MotoGP. That's nice. Let me tell you what's happening in Moto America. You know, so it was really kind of it was That's a nice. Cool. It was, yeah, it was a nice transition kind of thing. Yeah, it's neat. Yeah, I mean, we feel that way too, you know, I mean, we, we follow MotoGP as well. And of course, we're huge fans of it. But, you know, there's so many compelling stories. Well, there are compelling stories in their series, but there are so many in our series. And you're, to you pointing out, you know, there are five classes. Each one of those five classes has distinct kind of racing, um, distinctive kind of motorcycles. And, and the riders are like that too. There's just There's just always something to tell. And, you know, one of the things that's cool about the off season for us is we're so, as you noticed in the media center, we're so wrapped up in the goings on of, 
you know, who's qualifying fastest, you know, who's winning what race and getting them up there in the, in the press conferences and things that this off season, we really kind of get a chance to more dive into some of the, you know, the, the different personalities. And it's not just the riders, it's the teams and the crew members. I was talking to a guy at the AIM Expo who is, uh, he builds the engines for Bobby Fong's super sport bike on the M4 team. And I found out a great thing about this kid. He's a young kid and he went to the, that MMI uh, Institute, you know, the Motorcycle Mechanics yep. Institute. Sure. So it's one of those things they would always say, you know, if your dream is to, rate, to uh, work for a race team and you kind of wonder, well, how often does that happen? And this guy is at, uh, obviously the poster boy for actually having done that. And he even he's even proud to say that he went into it with the idea that he wanted to be with a race team and, and he's doing it now. So it's, it's great. You know, a lot of different kinds of dreams come true in our series. So we, you know, we love that about it too. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. And, and the thing I've talked to like on my podcast and on throttled is the accessibility that you have in the motor America paddock, you, you know, pretty much. Yeah, for sure. If you have media credentials, but for any of the fans, you know, it's every, everyone is very willing to talk. You know, it's like I, I sponsored our, Cooper McDonald, just a little bit, just to help him out with his race effort. And oh, you know, I'm just, cool. wa- I'm just walking down the, the paddock lane and I see him go by on a scooter and he recognized me. We're friends on Facebook and he stopped. And he's like, Hey man, how's it going? And you know, we just chat a little bit. And, and, and then a little bit later, I saw him racing on the track. Like it, it, it was just really <laughs> cool, you know, and then you yeah, know, I've gotten awesome. to know, yeah, I've gotten to know Chris Bays. I interviewed uh, Kyle Wyman. So that was awesome. You know, just do the pit lane walk. It's like, oh, Kyle, how's it going, man? You know, and it's like, like familiar faces, you know, and, and to, to have racers starting to recognize me, it's like, wow, that, that's really pretty cool. You know, that's great. You know, yeah, it's as, a really as, open I, paddock and everybody's friendly. And definitely. I mean, those guys, you, I, I don't think there's anybody who would ever turn you down for an interview or anything like that, which is kind of, uh, it's kind of rare. It's one of those things where, you know, when, it's almost be careful what you wish for because when when the series starts to get too big, then you kind of lose some of that, you know. So we're trying sure. not to do that. Well, it's right. not that we're not trying to get big. Don't get me wrong, but no, of we, course. Hopefully, we can always keep that friendly environment where it's kind of an open. The fans can really. I mean, you can walk up and you know you're just walking through through the hot pit there, and you you see uh, Cameron Bobier, and you know you say hi, and he says, you know what I mean. It's like you can strike up a conversation with these guys because they're not hidden in motorhomes or anything. Yeah, yeah. No, ab- absolutely. And I mean, you know, that you, you talk about, you know, Moto America Superbike. I mean, these guys are top motorcycle racers, you know, it's like, yeah. you, know, you put them up there with the world superbike guys and stuff. So, so that's really cool. And, you know, cause like I said, I, I was at Coda, uh, you know, MotoGP, right. Was there with you guys, um, which was, which was really cool too. And, you know, I, I'm guessing I don't, I don't pay attention to numbers like turnout and stuff like that. It, it felt like a bigger crowd. I'm guessing in part because of the draw that MotoGP has. Although, oh, for sure. Although yeah. like even, even in the U S right, it's nothing, you know, motorcycle racing is still nothing like it is, you know, in, in Europe and, and, and parts of Asia and whatever, but still it was really cool to see that. But, um, you know, and, and there I was kind of just hanging out in my seat, you know, the grandstand area. So I, I didn't really try to access the paddock and whatever, but MotoGP, you know, again, it, it's like, you know, you just have that feeling that's more security. It's like Formula One. There's like more security, more protection. Like, like you guys said, you know, like the racer gets off the bike and then he goes into his motorhome and he wants to be left alone. You know, and they, and they do autographs and all that kind of thing. And obviously they, they spend time with the fans and whatever, but it, it's not the same. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's not the, it, it's not the, it's like a family. It's almost like a family atmosphere, I guess. And, and it's cool, right? Cause people, you know, camp in the infield or whatever. And so they're, they're kind of, kind of all the time. So. 
yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's funny. One of the things that we we always notice in her is especially with Valentino and Marquez is I'm sure the same way, but for sure Valentino Rossi, especially at when we see him at Coda, you know, you'll see people that that just get a whiff of the fact that he's either coming out or he's maybe they don't even know that he's going to be coming out of the pit box or the garage area and they'll just wait and they'll wait and they'll wait and they'll just hope for that moment to see him and I mean that's really cool and it would be awesome if our series was to that level too but you know what's the accessibility is really terrific for for us and um you know fans get up close and pretty personal with the the um the riders, I mean, you probably seen or heard about these super fans, this uh, CFE group of guys that are in the Pennsylvania area. Um, you know, they would, if they were following Valentino Rossi, they probably wouldn't quite have the access to him or the right. stardom that they have with us. So um, it's it's pretty cool. It kind of makes makes it both ways, you know, a little bit. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I listened to that episode that you guys did, the podcast episode with those guys. That was, that was great. That was an awesome, awesome episode. And I think you did that as a video, right? So people could watch yes. it on YouTube if they want. Yeah. So yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put a link in my show notes to that if people, you know, people want to check it out. But, uh, yeah, like I have a, another podcaster friend who, uh, lives down in South Carolina and I don't know what race it was. It wasn't Barber. Uh, what's one of the other ones down there? Atlanta? Yeah, Whatever. I wrote I, Road yeah. Atlanta. Okay. So it probably was Road Atlanta, but, uh, he went with his boys who I guess they're getting into their early teens or whatever. And they're just starting, you know, to get into motorcycles and they've each got like little dirt bikes and whatever. But, you know, he said they could not stop talking about the fact that, you know, they were just walking in the, the pit area and they saw their, their hero, Cameron Bobier. And it was like, dad, dad, that's Cameron, you know, and, and, and he's like, yeah, why don't you go talk to him? <laughs> and they were like, really, really? <laughs> and, you know, yeah, so they did. Awesome, they, yeah, so they did. They met Cameron and they got autographs and they were just like, you know, cloud nine kind of thing. So that, that's, that's, that's really great. cool. Yeah, I love, I love hearing stories like that. Yeah, I mean, it's funny in Paul's situation, you know, I've always said I kind of started out as a fan and Paul, Paul was kind of born into this whole, whole industry with his dad being a world champion and working with Kenny Roberts. So Paul's always been around it. He's got a little bit of a different perspective on things. Um, for me, I mean, I'm still, I still do get myself starstruck. Paul busts on me a lot of times because I, I have crushes on so many different riders all the time. He's like, oh, that's your favorite rider, isn't it? And I said, well, he's kind of one of them. I think that I think almost all of them are my favorite riders, yeah. but yeah, yeah. Paul has fun with it. We have a different perspective. It's kind of cool how we, we look at it differently a little bit. Yeah, I mean, all, all the racers seem very personable. For, I mean, at least yeah. so far. I mean, I have not met everyone, but I have yet like to not have one respond or be willing to talk. I mean, yeah, you know, if they're getting ready to go qualifying, you, you got to be a little respectful, right, of what, what they're doing and what the schedule is. But no, they've all been really cool. Yeah, that's so, really a good part of our series. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of fun. Um, so did uh, did you guys know each other, Sean, before you joined Moto America? We started, started working with Paul? Well, I knew of Paul. I knew Paul a lot longer than he knew me. I think I, I think I almost remember the first time I really talked to Paul. It was at Daytona one year. And I remember I, it was when I was working with Yamaha and I had done this really long kind of a review of um, the season that, that Josh Hayes had. And I remember Paul, you, I, I've never even told you this, Paul, but I remember you came up to me and you had were, had been leafing through it and you said, man, this is really good. And I'm like, it really, really made me feel good because I was like, oh my God, Paul Carruthers from Cycle News actually liked something I did. So, um, <laughs> but I mean, I've always been, I, I, as long as I've known of 
Paul's dad um, with Kenny Roberts, because Kenny's kind of where it started with me in terms of fandom, and and then it got even more intense with Wayne. But um, I didn't know a lot about Kel when he rode, because we we were so young then. Um, Kel won the championship, what, in 69, right, Paul? Um, yeah. We were both pretty young, but Paul and I are around the same age and everything, but, you know, I, I kind of discovered his dad, and it's like anybody that was kind of involved with Kenny Roberts was an absolute hero of mine, and his dad it to this day is, you know, one of the guys I love. So it's kind of cool. I'm like, Oh my God. And you're his kid. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. So That's we have cool. a, it's a funny, diff, different situation, our relationship, you know, it's like I said, I've known Paul a long time. He hasn't known me for that long because, you know, I kind of came out of the woodwork as a fan and got involved in this. So, yeah. 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 So, so how did, how did it actually come about that, that you joined the Moto America crew there? Well, was you know, it like was, a, was for, it like an ad on the paper or like uh whatever? What's the job site? Craigslist or not Craigslist? But it know. was like a it was like a Tinder thing, and he was swiping. <laughs> like no, then, no, no, yeah. no! Check out this one. <laughs> I kept I kept stalking those guys. Um, no, I'll tell you honestly, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I. I, uh, I've always been a bit of a historian and a big fan of Yamaha stuff. And it goes back to Kenny. And like I said, and then when Wayne raced for Yamaha, that's sort of, I got kind of into that brand a lot from there. And I'd known some people at Yamaha for a really long time and kind of just did things for them. My background's always been in advertising, like a copywriter and things like that. And I would always kind of do things some sort of on the side, just, you know, whatever I could do free for, you know, whether it was Yamaha or I've written for a couple of websites and stuff. And um, so I, you know, that led into me becoming a press officer for Yamaha's road racing team. When they got Moto or when they got uh, Monster Energy as a sponsor, they needed to support that brand with a, a real presence in the media. So they needed a dedicated person to do PR for them. And, you know, I started traveling with that team and you know, it was funny because when I started, um, it was right the early days of Garrett Gerloff being involved. And, you know, even even Cameron, too, he was kind of a privateer back then. But, you know, um, I had worked with with Josh and and, uh, you know, and, and then JD joined the team. So I did a lot of stuff with Yamaha. Well, you know, their budgets, things changed with that. And I had kind of found out um, a couple of years ago that they weren't going to renew my contract. And this is the weirdest thing, Chris. I mean, I, I didn't even know that that Wayne would have even had any idea. I don't know how he found out about it, but I found out about that I wasn't going to be going to work for Yamaha. And I went from, you know, the most uh, horrendous day of my life to literally, it was a few hours later, Wayne and Chuck Axlin called me and they had already heard about it. And they said, hey, you know, we need some help, you know, with uh, writing stories for the website and stuff like that. And he said, you know, they said, we'd love to have you work with us a little bit. So it kind of came out of there. Um, and then I said, Oh my God, you know, I'll be able to work with, with Paul. That's so awesome. And that's sort of how it, how it started. It's been a couple of years for me involved in it. And, you know, um, Paul can tell you he's been with Moto America since the beginning, but um, his background in this industry is, you know, phenomenal. So um, I'll let him kind of talk about where he got involved in it. Yeah, actually. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good point because that's one of the things i was going to ask is and, and I, I know you've talked about this paul and maybe it was on because uh, i know you were on the moto noco podcast about six months ago maybe something or maybe a little yeah longer. yeah yeah that's um, right it was yeah which which was really good i enjoyed i enjoyed that interview that was a lot of fun actually i'll include the the link for that too but but i was going to ask you if, if you know you want to talk a little bit about since you were in on the the you know the early phases you know 
how how Mode America, you know, came into being and what kind of was happening before that. I, I've heard little bits and pieces like here and there. Well, actually, the the when when Moto America kind of started going somewhere, um, I had conversations with Wayne. the The issue at the time was that the the AMA Superbike Series was kind of in a disarray. I think there was five or six rounds, and it just wasn't a happy place anymore. The riders weren't happy, the teams weren't happy, the manufacturers weren't happy, and the championship had really taken a nosedive from what it was. Because um, you know, I'd been at Cycle News for for 30 years and, and like, I don't know, 23 or 24 of those years, I'd been the editor. So I'd followed the AMA Superbike series. You know, I, I think, I don't, I don't know that I, I, I don't think I missed hardly any rounds. Um, so I, I, so I was heavily involved in that series and the coverage of that series. So I knew exactly what that series was. Right. And it was really disappointing to see how far it had dropped. So I had a conversation with Wayne. I think I saw Wayne at the Trailblazers banquet out here in California. Um, he was getting an award or he was being put into their Hall of Fame or something. And, and I was there. And, and he kind of mentioned to me like, hey, you know, I'm working on something, blah, blah, blah. You can't say anything. Because I was still the editor of Cycle News. So it was a pretty juicy story for me to have. Sure. <laughs> but as it turns out, I couldn't have it. But so we talked We talked a little bit. And then... Um, and then it turned out that Wayne gave me like this exclusive interview where he, when he was able to talk about it. So we did that interview and, and I, I kind of brought up to him, I'm like, Hey, you know, I, I, I'm ready for a change. If I don't know if you need a PR guy or a marketing guy or, or, or communications or, or whatever, but you know, I'd be interested in, in, in talking to you about it. Um, and he's like, you know, no way you'd leave cycle news. You know, it was like, he just didn't believe that that would actually be a possibility. But I, I, I put, I planted the seed and then we had some more conversations. And honestly, it was once he decided that, you know, he, he wanted me to, you know, he thought it'd be a good idea if I interviewed for the position. Um, I, I, I went ahead and interviewed for it and I talked to him and the partners and, uh, we had a good conversation and I kind of told them where I was coming from and what I wanted to do. And I think we were on the same page with a lot of that. And, and then I got the, the offer and it, honestly, it was, even though I'd been at Cycle News for so long, it was, it was like the easiest decision I've ever had to make. I mean, you know, you, you tend to go with your gut on these things. And, and I was honestly, I was, there was nothing there that told me not to do it. And it kind of went from there. So it was, it was really cool because it was, it, I was so familiar with the, with the job without ever having done that job from that side. But obviously as a journalist, I'd worked with PR people, communications people and press releases and all that stuff for as long as I can remember. So I had a pretty good grasp of what I thought it should be. And I kind of turned it into what I thought it should be. A lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the experience that I drew upon was the fact of like when I would read press releases, and I, I, I kind of knew, I knew what good ones were and that were easy for me to use as an editor compared to, to crappy ones that I had to spend a lot of time working on, et cetera, et cetera. So I just kind of went into it with the mindset of like, look, I know how to do this because I'm going to be doing it for the people that I, that I was or for the job that I once held. So for that part of it was, it kind of came pretty easy to me. Yeah. I've always had good relationships with the writers and this actually enabled me to have better relationships with the writers because I was not that I was never not on their side, but still, I mean, when you, you know, they're, they're always careful of what they tell a journalist. Well, now, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm just in with them and, 
and they know I've got their back and I'm not going to do anything to, uh, to burn them or, 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 or write anything that they wouldn't want me to. So it's, it's worked out really well. And it, it just kind of took off from there. And it, it's been, it's probably been, you know, one of the best things I've ever done, at least professionally. Oh, that's awesome. And so yeah, it was a good decision. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. Sounds like it. I, I mean, I'm enjoying what you guys are doing. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's awesome. Um, so what 2015 was the first season from like, yeah, from that was Mo the first season. America, so we all, right? the, the company kind of came together, you know, towards the middle, well, the, towards the end of 2014. And, okay. you know, I started there in actually 2014, maybe October. So it was pretty, you know, it was pretty intense. Like, okay, we've just got a few months to make this happen. And right. then it was just full on, you know, full gas until, uh, until that first race. And <laughs> amazingly enough, we were able to pull it off and it's, it's gotten, uh, it's gotten a lot better that, you know, those first, that first year was a little tough because a lot of us were in positions and doing things that we hadn't done before, including, including Wayne and Chuck and, and, uh, and the rest of the partners, I mean, this was all new. So it was, it was definitely a startup that we were trying to figure out as we went, but, uh, yeah, it turned out good. And, and, you know, the thing is what, what we, we really started, it, it's almost like, it was almost like a negative startup, to be honest, because we, we weren't starting with something completely new, but in right. some ways it might've even been easier if we did, because we started in something that, like I'd, I'd mentioned earlier, it was, it was kind of in a pretty deep hole. Yep. So, so yeah. there was a lot of, uh there was a lot of effort digging us out of that hole just to get us back to, uh, to level ground and building on that. Sure. Sure. The, um, the, the know, part, Chris, the first, funny, yeah, good. Got yeah. a couple of things I was going to tell you, Chris, about Paul. This is interesting. My observations of that first year. Um, these, these are two things. One of the things I remember with Paul was the first, Paul, you can correct me on this, but I think the first race that year was at Coda, right? Um, wasn't it yes. with MotoGP? Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember thinking, I was like, Oh my gosh, Paul is, is it, you know, doing this, like the first thing is with MotoGP. And I remember at the end of the weekend, he was like, oh man, I can't wait to get to road Atlanta where it's just going to be us and stuff, you know, and it, it, it is, it is, it's still crazy when we, when we have a combined event, um, you know, PR and everything's completely different. But I just remember he, he, you know, was right in that first race with MotoGP involved. And the other thing that was interesting about that first year, Chris, is, you know, one of the things about, about Moto, about Moto America is, that we only go to tracks that can be raced on in the rain. It's safety is uh, absolute priority for the riders and, and, you know, they stick to it. And sure enough, that first year it rained at every single round we went to and it even rained at Laguna Seca, which it hardly ever does, but it was wow. like every single round. And it was like, well, what would you expect when the president of the company is Wayne Rainey? So yeah, we, that first year we had, we just got struck with horrible weather. Like, like Sean said, I mean, you know, we went to California and we got rained on. It was like, we started to have a joke. It's like, we could go to drought areas and they could pay us to have races there. So they wouldn't have a drought anymore. But it was, um, yeah, that first year, it was just like, it was just a given that no matter where we went, it was going to rain for at least one session wow. and, and usually more than that. But, uh, at, from, from that point on, I mean, sure. We have rainy days here and there. Um, but for the most part, we've, we've, we've done pretty well with the weather. Yeah, we have. This year was great weather, it seemed like, and at pretty much every round. You know, you'd hear about it'd be bad weather going into it, and then you'd get there, and it'd be like clear up, and everything would be beautiful. So we made, you know, I think we countered that first year by getting better karma later on or something. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that first year with the rain because the the first Moto America event I attended was last year at, at, in New Jersey, and it rained it rained pretty much the whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, you got a bad one. So, <laughs> that was my introduction to it. Although it it was it was interesting because honestly, it, one it was cool to see them race in the rain. Um, you know, it, it did rain pretty heavy from time to time. It was no problem getting a seat in the in the stands. That I have to say. Um, and you know, we we had the. Uh, uh, what do you call it? The, the full access pass or whatever, you know, so we could get out on the track and go up to the top of the tower or whatever. So we had a great view and whatever. And because it was raining, there was like nobody up there. So fortunately we were prepared, you know, we had a little bit of rain gear and umbrellas and stuff. So that, that worked out good. The only, the only bummer was we had signed up to do the, uh, the two up experience with Chris Ulrich. And of course, you know, they're not going to do that in the rain. But right. you know, we did get a rain check, so that was really cool. So Jersey this year, we we ended up getting our rides with Chris Ulrich, which that, that's a whole other that's a whole other episode. But uh, I, I've talked about that quite a bit, and I've posted videos and photos. That that was such so much fun. It's like I, I really you know def, definitely advise people to try it if they've if they've got the nerve. You know, it's yeah, funny, Chris. A, that'd be a good podcast for you if you got Chris on. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I've I've been working on it for a while, and uh, so I'm I'm hoping now that I've had you guys on, maybe I can be like, hey, Chris, you know, look, look, Paul and Sean came on, so come on, dude, like, <laughs> but he's like, yeah, that he, I, I would think he'd jump at it. He's just so busy. Yeah. No, he, in fact, you know, we we talked about it. You know, when when I saw him in in Jersey, he said, look, I know you're trying to get me on the podcast, but I I, I can't keep up with the guy. I mean, he's because because after Jersey, I think he was in Europe testing bikes. For, for road racing world and then he was off to the next race uh, he's yeah I don't, I don't know how the guy does it he's like between yeah he's busy yeah between running yeah, the magazine right. and a race team and doing the two-up experience I, don't, I i couldn't keep up you know what i was going to say is it's funny that you were going to do that two-seater ride last year at new jersey when it was raining because it must have been when i i actually did a two-seater that weekend it must have been on friday i remember i was dry when i did it but it was that same weekend i went around new jersey motorsports park so i I know exactly what you're t what you're talking about with the two seater having done it, and um, okay. Paul's done it with Ra Randy Mamola in MotoGP. So oh, wow. he's he's done two seaters as well. So he he knows what it's like also. So so yeah, so, I was wrecked so, from the start. I know not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 Sean, you you know all the oh shit spots on the track. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I to this day I cannot get over how well those Dunlop tires stick in those corners. I mean, you know, I ride. I've been riding for I don't know since I was 16 years old, and I've never taken a corner that fast. I wouldn't trust that. There's no way. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it's amazing going in there, and I'm just I had full trust in what Chris was doing because I know his record of having people on there, and it's like. Oh my God, that was incredible. So yeah, it was good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's really cool how the whole thing is done. And like I said, I've talked about this on a prior episode, so we won't go into a ton of details, but for people who haven't heard about it yet, it, it's really great the way they do it. You know, the whole orientation, it's like, this is what's going to happen. This is how the thing works. They get you all geared up, make sure everything fits properly, get you seated on the bike, make sure your gloves are on good and your visors down and the whole deal. And then, you know, the, I mean, we did two laps. I don't know if sometimes he does more. Um, I guess it depends on timing and whatever. Cause we were, you know, we did it on Saturday. Let me see what it was Saturday. It was Saturday. So it was in between activities. I think like all the practice and qualifying was done and it was before the first race or something. So it was kind of a, a short window, but you know, first lap, you know, it's kind of like a warm up lap. He takes it a little easy. I'm guessing he's warming up the tires. And then he comes around for the second lap and it's like, hold on, baby. Cause here we go. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to show you what the bike can do. <laughs> 
Same thing with me. It was the same yeah. way, an out lap and then a fast lap. And, yep. and uh, I'm sure he wheelied with you, right? Oh, yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, yeah. I, I weigh a little over 200 pounds, so I'm sure that doesn't help. <laughs> but- well, me too. I got I got done with it. And I was like, did you, did you wheelie with me just because of my prodigious weight or whatever? He goes, no, I wheelie with everybody. It doesn't yeah. matter how much they weigh. <laughs> so they, he probably couldn't do stoppy with you guys, though. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, I haven't seen him do that. Although I have seen the uh, the MotoGP guys when they do it, the Winno, whatever it is, Winno Experience. Um, yeah, they, they yeah. do. They do stoppies. I don't know if they do it all the time, but I've at least seen it like on YouTube or whatever. That's the one that Paul did. Paul did did Ray oh, yeah? do a stoppie. Yes, he did. He, he oh, did everything cool. he could possibly do to scare the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's really cool. That that's one of those situations, Chris. Paul's known Randy since he was a little kid, so you know they kind of grew up together. So it was a chance for Randy to kind of get back at Paul for all the stuff when they were kids. I think. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got I, some good yeah. stories about him and I when we were kids. <laughs> yeah, I know, Paul. You were talking about maybe it's the last episode you and Sean did together. I, I forget about you know you know being at the tracks in Europe as a kid and like the racers asking you, I guess there was like a soda machine or something and like (laughs) climbing under the fence to go grab everyone some sodas. (laughs) Yeah. The story is mom hates. (laughs) Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At some point, maybe when I've got nothing left to do, I'll just sit down and start writing a little book about all that stuff because there's some Mm. pretty good stories in there. That actually would be awesome. That would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It would would be amazing. Let let, let me, let me know when you write it. I'll buy the first copy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, um, so that the first season for Motor America 2015, did you guys start out with 10 rounds or was it less than you kind of worked up to that? Oh, geez. I think it was eight. Okay. Yeah, um, it was eight. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. It was eight. And then, and then, and then it jumped up to 10 for the rest of them. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's but we always did double work. headers. So it always had a, a, a decent amount of, uh, of, of actual races. It just had, you know, the less rounds. But right. again, that was an improvement because you got to remember like the AMA series before that was like, um, you know, five or six rounds. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, yep. Yep. so we, we were ahead of the game there. And, but our, our goal was to get to 10 as quickly as we could. And we were able to do that by the second year. So that's cool. Yeah. I, I think it's a great format. I mean, I really, I really like the, you know, the double headers, um, you know, with super bike and super sport and whatever, particularly, I mean, I've been fortunate. I've been able to go for weekends and, and it's night. Nice. It's like, you just get a whole weekend of racing. You know, it, it's not just, you know, okay, one day is practice qualifying and the next day is racing kind of thing. So that's kind of unique, I think, right? Like a world Superbike doesn't do that or do they two races, you know, uh, around. Yeah, they do too. Okay. Yeah. It, but it yeah, is funny to similar. think about moto. MotoGP is so funny because you're right. It all builds up to all their racing is done on Sunday, and that's kind of the way it used to be in, in the AMA. Paul can attest to this back back in the day, like when it was Scott Russell or Miguel. You know, a lot of those guys, they only had one, most of the time one superbike race on Sunday. So a lot of them would race in, a, in the Supersport class on a 600. You don't see that as much nowadays, you know, it's just two races. Um, they kind of stick to one class, but in, back in the day, these riders would kind of have a, a couple different classes that they would be involved in. So, um, but I think, I think it's great to, to your point. It's like, you know, having two races, especially, well, Superbike, if you want to focus on that, but the other classes are the same way, but you know, same number of races pretty much on Saturday as they are on Sunday. And it's just really fantastic. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's really good. And I think what, one of the things that we geared that for a little bit 
or maybe even more than a little bit, but, but for like people that just want to go there and camp for the entire weekend, they have quality races on both days instead of just the one. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's what I was going to say is I think it's a great draw to get people for the whole weekend because when, you know, if you've got, especially if, if it's not a long distance travel and you don't have to make it a weekend thing, if it's like, you know, practice qualifying, except for the real hardcore fans, they're like, man, okay, whatever. You know, in fact, I even know like, like you go to like a, a, a Formula One race or MotoGP or whatever, a lot of, a lot of fans, they just come for the main event and that's it. Like they come for the main event and then like, unless it's really, really exciting, they leave, you know, like 10 minutes before it's over because they want to beat the traffic you know, out of the parking lot kind of thing. Right. Um, whereas with, yeah. with, with you guys, it's like, well, if I, if I don't go the whole weekend, I miss half the deal. Like I miss half the racing. So let me, let me, <laughs> yeah. let, you know, let me and, make it a weekend. I think it's great. Right. And the other way to look at it too, is if, if, uh, if our fans could only make it for one day, whether that be Saturday or Sunday, they get equal. Yeah, they get, they get equal amount of entertainment. They get the same yep. amount of races, basically. You know. Yeah. So if, you, if yeah. for some reason you work on the Sunday or or you work on the Saturday, however that works, and you can only go for one day, at least you know you're going to see a superbike race as well. Sure, sure. And the other great thing too, like now that you guys have the the live plus, you know, it's very easy to catch up if you did miss something. You know, so you just go one day and you got a chance. And you can just watch watch the other races when you get a chance. So I think that works. That works out great. Yeah, that's been a good addition for our series. Yeah. All makes, of our TV stuff has worked out really well. Oh, definitely. Especially for me, like, cause the last, the last two rounds, you know, I was spending a lot of time taking pictures and stuff and it's difficult to keep track of what's going on. You know, I spend half the time messing with the camera and am I getting good pictures or whatever? And it's really nice. You're, you're there, you see everything live, you hear the bikes, you get to talk to people and then, you know, whatever, you go home and then you can catch up on what you missed. So it works out really right. good. Hmm. Yeah. The, um, the, the, the first season, was it just superbike, or did you have other other classes as well? No, we had the support classes as well. We had, uh, I guess, I, excuse me for God, it seems like so long ago, even though it wasn't. But yeah. we had like yeah. a <clears throat> we had stock six hundred, and we had super That's sport, right. and we had super stock one thousand that ran with superbike. Okay, and uh, we had uh, KTM Junior Cup or okay. KTM Cup. Okay. So it was, yeah, we, it was which fairly was close to what it's been. We just tweaked it a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the RC, the KTM cup was all same bikes. So it was kind of a spec series junior cup, you know, now it's competitive brands, which it's funny, you know, it goes both ways when we were doing uh KTM cup, people were like, you know, people that didn't really follow KTMs, you know, the fans, we couldn't really get behind a rider because of what they were riding. And, and now, you know, we've switched it over. So it's, you know, Kawasaki and Yamaha, uh, Honda won a race this year in the rain. So there's a little bit more diversity of brands, but by the same token, I sometimes hear some riders say, boy, we wish it was all the same bike again, you know? So it was like kind of prepared, similarly, well, identically prepared equipment anyway, that kind of thing. So it's, it's uh, how you slice it, I guess it, it doesn't really matter that much. It's exciting either way, I think. Yeah. 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 And then twins cup was new last starting last year, last season, right? That's right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and you guys had a big ramp up, right? Because I, I remember watching some of the twins cup races last year and I don't know exactly. There was maybe like some races, there was like 10 entries, eight, 12, something like that. And the, yeah, like, it, like, it yeah, started out a little, we were a little nervous about it. I mean, I always joke like I could get tenth in this race because there's nine guys, you know. <laughs> right. But, um, but uh, yeah, it was a little worrisome at first, but we 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 kind of knew the the potential it had based on 
how how popular that class can be at, at, in the club racing level. So as much as we were worried initially, we weren't that worried because we knew, you know, it was just going to take people actually seeing it and, and seeing what it was and what it was about. And then they can make the step to actually competing. And now it's like, well, it, it, it correct me if I'm wrong, Sean, but it, it, it's our biggest class now entry wise. Yeah. I mean, consistently it's got, you know, about 38, 39 riders, you know, and, and it's really, um, you know, th that bike, that middleweight sort of twin, you know, whether it's the Suzuki or the Yamaha, Kawasaki's got one too. They're pretty popular within club racing, as Paul said, because, you know, they're fairly affordable motorcycles and you don't have to do a lot to them to make them, you know, fun and competitive to ride. And, and, uh, so that's kind of what the draw was initially, but it's turned into this year, you know, more than ever, it's, there's such a, uh, diversity of ages i mean we saw you know michael barnes 50 years old on a ducati yep. and then you had like 16 year old alex duma is is on a suzuki and he won the championship and you know uh, michael was what third i think in the championship the point is that you know they all battled it out and they were there in it for different reasons alex kind of used it as an intermediary you know he he had to step up from the junior cup series and he wasn't didn't feel like he was quite ready to race in super sport. So this was perfect for him. Michael, you know, Michael Barnes has been around forever and raced pretty much any bike and every brand that you can ever think of. It was kind of a, his foray to get kind of back involved in the sport again. So um, it's really, it's a, it's a great, great uh, class for that. It's really, you know, I mean, super bikes, obviously the greatest thing about our series, but Twins oh. Cup's awesome too. I mean, I, I, I love seeing those guys and you talk about your friend, Chris Bays. I mean, you know, great that he's involved in it as well so yeah um it's a great it's a great class no definitely it, it's a ton of fun like i said all the classes are good i, I enjoy watching all yeah. of them but the twins cup guys i don't know it's just uh it is cool because of that whole cross-section not just of ages experience levels and then you know you have guys they, they can't afford the whole season or whatever and so you know they race the tracks that are fairly close to them and and yeah yeah okay they're not going to win the championship but they can come out and have you know have fun racing and you know get some really you know dedicated fans watching so absolutely yeah i think a lot of people can relate to to that class because there's so many people that they can relate to you know what i mean whether you know if you're an old guy maybe you can relate to michael barnes if if you own a ducati you relate to yeah. michael barnes or you you know, if you're a young kid, you can see, oh man, look, the 16 year old beating up on these 40 year olds. And so there's just a lot, there's a lot going on there. So there's a lot of things that, you know, a fan can get behind. Um, so yeah. And, and I know like, like a couple of rounds, especially towards the end of the season, I mean, there were more twins cup entries than could qualify, right? Like you had, I think yes. what, what's the grid limited to 33 or something. It, it really depends on the track. Okay. Yep. So some tracks have more and some have less. Right. But um, I think you, you know had, what they can grid and yep. the distance between the start and the first corner. There's a lot of things that factor into it. So sure. Sure. But there's been, yeah, I think we had 42 know. entries yeah. at Barber, but they had to wow. winnow it down to, I think maybe 33 competitors because the front straight, the grid there just isn't long enough to fit that many riders on it. So, yeah. um, yeah, so they had to winnow it down from there, but it's always good to have, I mean, you know, it's tough for the riders that don't make the show, so to speak, but it's, it's certainly great for us to have you know more riders than we can fit on the track. That's for sure. Yeah, pretty great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's cool. So, um, so we talked a little bit, right? So the the 
you know, kind of the classes changed a little bit and kind of got fine tuned and, and tweaked. What, what else, you know, has kind of changed over the last five years? I mean, I, I basically started following last season, I guess the beginning of last season. So I kind of missed the first three. So how's, how's things kind of evolved? Um, I don't know, Sean, uh, well, the junior cups knew the twins cups knew, um, right. and those, those, well, the, the junior cup evolved from the KTM, KTM cup, yeah. uh, twins cup just kind of, you know, we started from scratch with that. Um, Superbikes is it's been the premier class and it always will be. Um, and we've had that where, like I mentioned earlier, where we'd have we've had Superstock 1000 compete with the Superbikes, right? Uh, and that's been separated now. And it's actually the the Superstock 1000 bikes have been, um, for the want of a better word, dumbed down a little bit to become Stock 1000, uh, which that class has also grown into something that's uh, that's pretty special as well as far as a lot of entries, um, a lot of it was kind of designed that a younger guy could get his feet wet with thousands um, in the hopes that they'd end up riding, you know, in the superbike class. And, and we're starting to see that now. Uh, Andrew Lee's trying really hard to, uh, to move up to superbike next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and from all, from all indications, I, I think he's somehow going to be able to make that happen. So that that's proof that that kind of works in, in the way that, you know, that we, we, we designed it for. Um, I don't, Sean, do you got anything to add to that? I mean, I can't think of anything. It's just been, yeah. you know, we haven't, we haven't made huge steps as far as the classes, but like you, like you mentioned, we've just made some tweaks, um, you know, based on the experience from the years before. And I think we've got it to the point now where like this year coming up, there's not going to be, there's not going to be any changes from, from the previous year. I mean, we're, we're happy with what it is and then we're going to continue, continue forward with the five classes that we have. Yeah, I think I think like stock one thousand. The thing that's really cool about that is, like Paul said in the beginning, we had super stock one thousand, and it was on the on the track at the same time as the super bikes. And you know, I always felt. I mean, even for us, it was tough, but certainly for fans and, and new fans, it was a little bit hard to figure out like who's on what kind of a bike, you know. And what I don't understand that, you know, that super stock guy, you know, he won his race, but he was fifth in the actual race. Right. Um, and, you know, with Matthew Skoltz, for instance, he was on a super stock bike and won a super bike race. So he kind of was like an overall winner, which was pretty incredible. But I like it that it's separate now because, you know, that class has grown a lot. And and um, this year we saw, like, for instance, Ashton Yates, who is a – Son of Aaron Yates, you know, former uh, superbike and world superbike rider and, you know, a hero to a lot of people, including me. Ashton, you know, started out in the small bike class. He was uh, in junior cup and then he did a little bit in super sport, but he's such a, a, a tall kid that, you know, stock 1000 kind of fit him. So at the end of the year, he switched over to that and he's been extremely competitive and he's going to be up somebody I'm sure he's going to continue in that series next year. And uh, it's good for him to get that because it's, it's, you know, it's a step down from Superbike. It's going to prep him for that class. Alex Dumas is another one. You know, it's funny. Alex wasn't quite ready to go into Super Sports, so he went into Twins Cup, as we were saying. He won the championship this year. Well, you're thinking, okay, well, he's probably going to go to Super Sport next year. I haven't heard anything official on it, but the word was that he's going to actually race in Stock 1000. He's going to skip Super Sport. He wants to, he's, a, he's grown a lot. He's a real tall kid now. Um, still young, but you know, he's, he's kind of had a growth, growth spurt and he's been on a thousand and he likes the way it feels. And it's probably going to get him quicker to, you know, a super bike level of, of riding. So, um, it's just really cool how we have these different classes that, you know, you can fit into for different reasons. You know, it's 
whether you're a, a seasoned rider in a club or you're a young and up and coming rider um, and everything in between. It, it really, we offer a lot of different ways for uh, these riders to get involved in racing. And it's, you know, one of the things I love most about Moto America. Yeah, that, that'll be really cool if he moves up to a thousand class. That, that'll be a lot of fun to see. Yeah, it'd be cool, especially, I mean, he's won a, heck, he won a Junior Cup championship, then he won the Twins Cup, you know, yep. and he'd be like, well, can you go three for three and win stock with thousand years? The pressure will be on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I guess this question is more for Paul, but Sean, feel free to jump in, you know, any any input you have. So, oh, he always so. jumps in. You don't have to tell him. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. I guess I didn't have he'll, to say he'll that. He'll cannonball right into this pool. <laughs> so if, um, if you kind of think back, and, and I know it's, it's, it's a while ago, and it's funny, right? Because I, I, can, I, you know, I have trouble remembering like, what happened last season, right? So this is maybe a little unfair. But if, if you kind of go back to when Water America was forming, right, and you'd first come on board end of 2014, you know, in, in terms of the, the planning and the thoughts about, Motor America and you know the the plans and how it was going to grow. How does that compare to what you've actually experienced over the past five years? Like I, I think I've heard you say that it, it like actually I heard yeah maybe you guys were talking about that you've pretty much hit like all the targets you had laid out kind of in your five year plan, right? Yeah, I think I think when they started the thing five years ago, they 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 had an they had a plan, they had an outline, and talking to them this season they did they 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 hit all their marks i mean i think that one of the big goals was to do our own tv production which was a huge huge step and it was a big financial commitment from richard varner and we made that happen in year five um i think what happens is um we're kind of an impatient bunch i mean a lot of us um involved in it have been racers or involved in racing for pretty much all their lives. And racers tend to be a little bit impatient when it comes to things like this. So I think sometimes we get like, not disappointed, but I think there's times when we're like, Oh man, we should be this and we should be that. and We should be this. And I always tell those guys, it's like, you know what, just take a step back a little bit, take a deep breath and look at where we've come from and where we are. And when you do that, it's hard not to be proud of exactly what we've accomplished because we've brought this thing from, you know, like I said, I mean, this thing was on life support and now it's full of life. So it's like, we, we you know, I, I think we can be proud of, of what we've done. And, and going back to your original question, I think we have hit all the marks that they, that we sat down and, and planned to do, you know, five years down the road. So, um, and I think, you know, it's one of those things too, where you, you accomplish the things that you set out to accomplish and you work hard and you end up, you, you end up accomplishing a lot more than what was on that list. And it just puts you farther ahead for the, for the following season. Yeah. Like right now, looking at 2020, it's, it's like the most excited I think we've been. And that says a lot. Cause I think we're excited all the time about what we're doing, sure. but I think looking to 2020, we're like, wow, let's, you know, we really got a lot of stuff accomplished last year and we got on top of stuff that we weren't necessarily on top of before and we figured out a lot of stuff and now we're really ready to uh, to go for it, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. It, it's interesting the point you made about, you know, the sometimes being impatient. And I, I guess, you know, it 
It's interesting, right? When when you get a bunch of people who either have been racers, are racers, or you know whatever, just enjoy it. Like that's kind of the nature of racing, right? Is it's like, it's like I'm not waiting for like let's go, come on, let's go. I want to be out front, you know. I want to I want to be in the lead kind of thing. So I, I guess it's kind of interesting when you combine that together. That totally makes sense. Yeah, it just it's 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 a bunch of competitive people, and uh, and they they don't and none of them like to be beaten at anything. So we're trying to be the best we can be at everything we do, and and you know it puts some pressure on you. But then it's also people that are used to that kind of pressure, right? Especially sure. Wayne. I mean, how much pressure can this be for for somebody like Wayne when he's you know when he's done what he when he's accomplished what he's accomplished in 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 situations that most of us wouldn't ever even dream of, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he put his—he's put his legacy on the line. It's incredible for this. I mean, it's a—it's a huge deal for him. And you know, I think we—we we never lose sight of that. Um, you know, there's a couple things about with Moto America that I think I'm most proud of. One of them is there's—and I, I kind of personally have this mantra of you know, do what you say you will do. And you don't—you're not always able to do that. But for sure, I see that with regard to you know the management with Moto America and even how things are run. You know, we we're great about you know, sticking to our guns and saying we're going to do something and actually coming through and doing it. There's not a lot of, you know, blue smoke and mirrors with it. You know, you, you see that we're, we're doing things like they said they were going to have TV at the end of five years and, you know, they, they made it happen in their own production uh, and, and all of that. The other part of it that I absolutely love is the, and this probably comes out of the fact that the president of Moto America is a former writer. Um, but the advocacy for the riders in our series is incredible. I mean, they really care about not only the welfare of the riders, but, you know, their careers and, you know, helping them along the way. There's a lot of discussion between teams and, you know, Moto America and riders. And, you know, they get involved in that, you know, a fair amount because, you know, it's it's a family. And, uh, you know, it's this thing about we only race at tracks that are safe to ride, ride at in the rain. We've said that. And it's come to pass. You know, we've had a few things happen, but for the most part, you know, we care about these guys and want to do what's best. And if, if there's ever a situation where, you know, th you're not sure about something, I'll just give an example, going into Barber, they resurfaced the tracks. So, you know, there was going to be a lot of grip. Right. Well, you know, it affected certain things like, you know, what kind of tires or whether they could use qualifying tires and whether they would last. And there was a lot of discussion about that. And the foremost part of it was not to see if they could break the record and go faster on a track that had a lot of grip. It was just to make sure that those riders were safe and that those tires were going to do it, you know, handle everything the way you're supposed to. And working with a great partner like Dunlop and having Moto America care like it does, it's just it's just a great thing to be part of. Yeah, no, that that, that is really cool. And I mean, I, I certainly get that sense. I mean, I'm not like in, in the know per se, but just you know, that the contact I've had with people talking with racers and whatever, I mean, I, I definitely get the sense people feel cared for and that they're just enjoying like the, the whole, the whole scene, you know, and, and, and it yeah, is. And we've also, yeah, it's also, it's also important to remember, like it, there's, you know, the ivory tower or so whatever you want to call it, where, mm -hmm. where race direction and those guys are sitting and they're actually controlling what's going on. I mean, we have guys like Thomas Stevens and Doug Chandler and Tom Kipp, and these guys are these guys have won superbike championships. They've won other AMA championships. So those guys are racers before anything else. So their number one priority is to make sure that those guys are safe and they're not put in harm's way. And I think that makes a huge difference. It's not a guy up there that's worried about, hey, we got to do this because of TV, or we got to do this because right. of sponsors. 
It's a guy up there that's making those decisions based on the fact that he was once one of those guys. So he's yeah. going to make the right decisions to keep those guys as safe as he possibly can. And yeah. that, I, I, you know, and I think that was one of the goals we had coming into this was to put those people in those right places so that that would be, you know, that would be the way we would do things sure. from top to bottom. No, that's definitely, yeah, that's definitely an awesome way to set things up. So, um, what, uh, any, any changes coming for this, this season, 2020, I, I, I know there's this two new, new venues, right? Well, uh, one's a new venue, right? So the Ridge, which is Washington outside of Seattle. Yeah, it's, uh, it looks like, I think it's about an hour or 45 minutes, oh. an hour from Seattle, maybe 45 minutes or, or 40 minutes from Tacoma. Okay. But we're really looking forward to that because I mean, it's, it, you know, we're looking forward to it because it's always nice to go somewhere new. Sure. Um, and I know the riders are looking forward to it because, um, you know, it's supposed to be a fun track to race on. And, and, and so they're looking forward to that. And then the other one we're going back to is Indy, Indy. Yeah. Which Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which I mean, that's, you know, arguably the most famous racing facility in the world. Um, yeah. That's... Thanks to like the Indy 500, obviously. But when we went there, we went there in 2015, our first year is uh, when MotoGP was there. We, w we got to go um, as a support event to them. So we've had a taste of, of what Indianapolis is like. And it's like just dealing with the people there from uh, the guy that checks your, your, your parking pass at the gate to the guy that's checking your ticket, you know, when you're sitting down or whatever. I mean, they're just like the nicest, most professional people that I've ever dealt with. Their PR staff's amazing. They're going to do a great job promoting the race with us. Yeah, and it's just I don't. I, I'm really excited about that one. Yeah, um, I definitely want to go to that round. Um, I've I've never seen motorcycle racing at Indy, but I did see the inaugural inaugural Formula One race there, which was awesome. Um, so yeah, that sounds like a ton of fun. Yeah, it'll, the 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 two tracks that we've added, um, they're both uh, we're we're excited about both of those. Yeah, that's cool. And then so the ones that were dropped was Sonoma. Right, and then what's the other one? Uh, Utah Motorsports Campus. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Sonoma was um, Sonoma was kind of a bummer. I I mean, I liked it more than Sean liked it because I got an hour flight and <laughs> Sean would have to fly across the country yep. like I have to do every time. I hear you. So personally, I liked it because I liked the area, but it did have some issues. The track, you know, the track could use some work at this yeah, point, right? And ex et cetera, et cetera, and. Uh, Utah, the problem with Utah, that the, the track was never an issue there. It's just so difficult to get fans to, uh, to come to an event there. And I mean, between us and World Superbike, who were there years ago, I mean, we tried everything. There's, there's been races on a Monday, races on a Saturday, races on Sunday, the, everything that's been tried and, and, and nothing's really worked very well. So it, it wasn't a surprise to me that that was yeah. one of the ones that we would, uh, we would replace when we had the chance to do so. Gotcha. Now, mm. is that because of location of the track hard to get to, or just motorcycle racing is not a thing in Utah? Or I, I don't, I don't know. It's hard because hard to it's, tell. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's really hard to tell. I don't know if it's just a. I don't know if it's the location of the track because that that doesn't seem like an issue to me because it's really. I mean, it's probably 35, 40 minutes from from downtown Salt Lake City. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah, know if the people bad. just aren't into racing in mm. that area. I don't, I don't know what it is, but, uh, I, you know, like I said, we've, everybody's tried everything and it's not been able to work. Right. So it's, it's probably not a bad yeah. time to move on and try something else. Sure. 
I mean, like Paul said, you know, we had situations where it'd be like, oh, well, obviously there's a huge Mormon population here. So the problem is we, when we have races on Sunday, they don't come out because, you know, they're they're going to, you know, worship or whatever. Well, right. you know, we tried to have races, like Paul said, on, on Friday and Saturday and not have anything on Sunday. And I don't know, it didn't didn't seem to help a whole lot. And it's it is a bummer, as he, as he said, because, you know, the course is is world championship level. It had world Superbike there in the past and they've got an awesome PR guy there and stuff that we love working with. And it's just, you know, unfortunate you couldn't take that thing and put it in an area where you're going to get more, more uh, people in seats. And that, that's the big problem that it just wasn't enough ticket sales there. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a shame, but I mean, you have to do what's right for the series. And if that, you know, helps bring in another, another track, another facility, that's, that's cool too. So, yeah. 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 And it's nice that we're starting to get more options, you know? I mean, uh, yep, definitely. Initially, it's like beggars can't be choosers type thing. Right. But um, now it's to the point where people know who we are and there's new tracks coming around. And sure. people are starting to put the, their resources into making nice tracks for track days and races and et cetera. And, and we're going to be able to take advantage of that. So it's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what about uh, is there anything you can share about plans for like the next? couple years next five years or so anything in the works i'm trying to get through tomorrow Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. fair enough fair enough <clears throat> i'm trying to get through tomorrow and actually remember yesterday i'm with you brother <laughs> yeah so okay uh, you know, you know it, i think you know i think one of the things is we're just gotta we just gotta continue to push forward and and the tv package like i said we took production of that over ourselves this year so we'll try to make improvements on that and I think we're just at the point where it's just a case of nothing needs to be overhauled anymore. It's just kind of polishing the thing a little bit better. Sure. And, and that totally makes sense. And like I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, my little confession thing, I said I would mention, you know, that the things, you know, the things I like about Motor America. And, and especially, like I said, I've been following for about two years. Um, the way it came about, I started riding motorcycles three years ago, and I was a big car racing fan. But when I got into motorcycles, the, my attention just totally shifted to, to motorcycle racing. And, uh, you know, so I've only been following Motor America like for these past two seasons, but this, this season in particular was a blast. I mean, you know, I got to go to three rounds, which is really cool. Um, it's just been so much fun learning about everything, you know, getting to know, like getting to know you guys a little bit, getting to know the racers, sponsoring a couple of racers. Um, it, it just, uh, it is just, it, it's funny because it's, it's a big operation, obviously, like, you know, I'm, I'm on the outside of it, but I kind of get a sense of what it takes for you guys to put these, these events on, but it still has like, you know, this family feeling like everybody knows everybody kind of thing. Um, and, and it's kind and it's kind of, it's weird. It's kind of like a home away from home kind of thing. You know, like when, when I went to Barber, it was just like, awesome. I just like parked the car, you know, down by the, the paddock area. So I walking around, Hey, how are you? How are you? You know, I bumped into Brian J. Nelson, you know, if I've, I've been following him for a while love his photography and stuff it was nice to get to talk to him so uh yeah it's uh I, yeah it's not like i'm suggesting there's anything to change because honestly I, I think the, the the package that you guys have is awesome um but it's just it's just always curious to know like what's the because like you said like you know you you kind of sit out with a plan and, and sometimes you met you you end up accomplishing more than you even set out to you know, and it's a kind of thing of you keep challenging, you keep pushing yourself. But that's a ra that's a racer mentality, I think, right? It's like, how do I go faster? How do I shave a tenth of a second off my lap time? Yeah, and I think we're fortunate that, um, you know, the main thing is how good the racing is. 
And I think we're very fortunate in the fact that the racing is just good in every single class. So it's phenomenal. Really, that part sort of takes care of itself now. Yeah. And then now it's just building the rest of the event and making it more friendly to spectators and friendly to families and things like that and coming up with new new ways of entertaining them, you know, when the races aren't going on or, or what have you. But uh but yeah, we're blessed with the fact that the racing is just outstanding. I mean, people worldwide look at our races and and, and you know, it, it, with with the new Moto America Live Plus, it's like we have a worldwide audience now, sure. and we have a lot of fans like in Spain and stuff that are that are diehard road race fans, and and now they're able to watch Moto America, and 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 now they can see how good our racing is as well. You know, it's like, you know, I'm not going to bag on car racing, but it's like they get excited if there's one or two passes for the entire race, and <laughs> oh, you know, totally, you've seen it, oh, and, we, yeah. and we have one or two passes every two corners, exactly. So. I mean that 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 part of it's good. That that was always one of my criticisms of like Formula One. As much as I enjoyed it, and it's like the top of motorsport and the, and the money and the technology and all that. Very often, it is just a parade of very expensive machines, you know. And right. and even MotoGP can be like that at times, um, you know. Mm -hmm. Especially and recessional. You know, no, nothing yeah. against Marquez, but you know, when you get a guy that dominates like that. You know, there's still action, there's still things going on, but it's kind of like, okay, so Marquez is going to win this one. Like, we kind of know how this play, you know, how this play is going to go. But uh, it, yeah. it's interesting because just, you know, before we started the interview tonight, I was just going back through some past episodes that I did with Throttle, you know, covering Mode America. And I came across one where I had mentioned it was, it was only the second or third episode where I was talking about Mode America. And, uh, you know, I had said something like, yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm sold now. I'm, I'm way more interested in this than MotoGP. So I, I think. Um, I, I think that that kind of says it all, you know, that, uh, that what, what all of you guys have going is, is just, you know, it's, it's a really, really excellent product. So, yeah. So I, I thank you for it. Cause I know I, I, en I enjoy the heck out of it. And, uh, I know a lot of my listeners do. And like I said, I'm trying just as a, a fan and a spectator, you know, doing what I can to help promote it just cause it's part of my whole thing of, I just love the whole world of motorcycling so much. I'm just trying to do what I can to just expose people to it, get people to look at things maybe they haven't, you know, so maybe someone who doesn't watch racing, you know, go check it out, you know, watch, watch on YouTube or, you know, subscribe to live plus or go see a race, you know, that's not too far from you. So, yeah. Yeah. We appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I was going to say, Chris, you were asking about like what we're going to see in the next few years. Well, I, I know one of the things that's sort of the, uh, what Moto America's, kind of based on now you know this idea of developing riders for the next world champions and really developing riders that would move up through our our series and become you know stars in our moto america series as well to, whether it's superbike or whatever and you're starting to see that now with five years in yep. you know like we've talked about alex dumas you know moved up a couple ranks a lot of guys have gone from junior cup into super sport and you're seeing stock 1000 guys so they're, they're starting to move up through our ranks. And, you know, I think you're going to start to see this dream that we all have, which is, you know, hopefully some more uh, racers from our country racing in, in MotoGP or World Superbikes. So, you know, it, it, Wayne, Wayne did it, you know, and his rival Kevin Schwantz did it. And so many, so many uh, riders from the past were able to do it, Ben Spees. And, you know, with, with Wayne, you think about he didn't have the infrastructure that – the young kids have now to develop their talents. Yeah. I mean, for, for Wayne, you know, he kind of had to do it on his own club racing, dirt track racing, whatever you could do, you know? Sure. Um, and these guys have, you know, a, a path that they can take to get there. And, 
it's it's really a, a an underlying thing about our about our entire series as you know led by by Wayne. Yeah. So you know that's a cool thing. I think you're going to start seeing. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know it's been cool. I haven't followed in great detail, but just like what Garrett Gerloff is doing, right? He's over kind of talking to people in World Superbike, and it looks like maybe he ends up there. So that that's that's cool stuff, you know. Yeah, we're excited about it for sure. Yeah. Um, hey, Chris, you, you mentioned car racing. I want to ask you, since you're on Long Island, I'm sure you remember uh, Bridgehampton, right? I, I know. Yeah, I know Bridgehampton. I've, believe it or not, never seen any races there. But uh, I know right. I know my dad, when uh, when he was growing up, that was kind of the thing, was they would go out there to see uh, like sports car racing and stuff like that. It was, it was a big track for motorcycle racing at one time, too. The Loudoun Road Racing Series, which was, is up in Loudoun, New Hampshire. Now the Loudoun Road Racing Series consists of them just going to the one track, but it used to be they would come down to the bridge, as they called it. And I know from Paul's days at Cycle News, I know he knows about Bridgehampton and what that, that track meant. But apparently it's one of those situations where they just it, it's now a golf course or something. So, you know. It's a bummer that that one isn't around anymore, yeah. but uh, that's a track on Long Island since that's where you are that developed a lot of riders um, in the past. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. I had a feeling maybe there was some motorcycle racing had happened there. And it is kind of a shame, and it's just part of the suburban sprawl. I mean, you know, Long Island basically now is, nowadays is just a huge suburb of Manhattan, New York City. Um, right. You know, like, right. when, when my dad was like where I live now in, in Levittown, when my dad was growing up, like this was the country like they, you know, the family came out here on the weekend and look at the potato farms and all that kind of stuff. And and now pretty much out to the end of Long Island is all developed. So, you know, and, and there's communities with money and whatever. So there's like noise ordinances. And I, I think that's part of part of the demise of Bridgehampton. But it's a shame. And there was a, a facility um, I think was owned by Grumman on Calverton that um, years ago, they actually were talking about building a racetrack that maybe like would draw NASCAR, which would have been awesome, like Ooh. for race fans. Wow. But that, that yeah. got shut down pretty quick. So <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, no um, NASCAR on Long Island. Well, speaking of Bridgehampton and, and Long Island, I think I owe you a story about Long Island. Did you want me to oh, give you God. that? No, absolutely, absolutely. And let me let me uh, let me set this one up a little bit. And and probably I, probably I should I should have introduced this at the beginning of the show. But uh, one one of the feature one of the features. I mean, I love the podcast you guys do. But one of the things I get a kick out of Sean is when you know you come up with these stories. You do a little research when you have a guest on or whatever. So I, I had just reached out to Sean. I was like, hey, you know, since I'm on Long Island, maybe you could do your thing see what you could research so sean have at it well you know i i'll, I'll start out by trying to make it short but it may end up being oh long, he can't you make know. anything short <laughs> that's true I, it's gonna go on for a little yeah, bit Paul, so, if, you're, if uh, you're hungry and have to drop off that's totally fine <laughs> <laughs> oh that's not a bad idea <laughs> you could probably I'll have lunch and, and have dinner and get back on <laughs> Tell it. I'll listen to. Him. I don't want to hurt his feelings. Okay. He gets. He so, takes stuff pretty personally. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I do. I'm a sensitive guy. So, Chris, the thing with you that I I love, and I, I haven't even told you this, but just in talking to you, you know, I get kind of weepy when I hear your voice because your <laughs> accent is so. Seriously, your Long Island accent reminds me of, you know, I grew up about two hours north of Syracuse and I went to one of the SUNY schools. I went to Potsdam, which you've probably heard of Potsdam uh, State, haven't you? Absolutely, yep. Yeah. 
And so everybody on my hall in Potsdam State was from Long Island, you know, okay. East Northport and Central Islip. So I used to go down, come down to Long Island a fair amount. But um, one of the things I was going to tell you now, this is, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Thousand Islands area of New York State, which I'm not sure if Paul is familiar with that, but it's an area of the, uh, along the St. Lawrence River, which is not very far where I grew up. And it actually is where Thousand Island dressing was invented. Okay. Um, there is there is some word about where, whether it got. There's two places that lay claim to have an invent have invented it, but it truly did get invented in the Thousand Islands area of of the on the St. Lawrence River in New York. So this brings me to my thing about Long Island, and and Paul will like this. Uh, Paul, I think you and you uh, you've occasionally enjoyed a Long Island iced tea, haven't you? Yeah, I, I may have had one or two. <laughs> <laughs> At um, the end of this I've season. also had French dressing and Italian dressing. <laughs> if we want to talk about that, <laughs> so so anyway, unlike Thousand Island dressing, which truly was supposedly invented in um, the Thousand Island area of New York, I guess there's a controversy of whether the Long Island iced tea was actually invented on Long Island. Okay. Now, the way I always knew it when I was in college, and Chris, I know you know about the OBI oh, Oak yeah, Beach Inn, which is no longer there, and, but, and that's know, just Oak Beach, but. Yeah, when I was a kid, when we were going coming down to Long Island to visit, you know, our friends in the summer, we would we would go to Fire Island or Jones Beach, and we'd go to the OBI, and you know, so apparently they say that the um, a couple of bartenders got together and invented the Long Island iced tea at uh, the OBI um, back in the seventies. But ironically, there's another story—not ironically—but there's another story that apparently the Long Island iced tea was actually invented in the nineteen twenties. And it was invented in Kingsport, Tennessee, which is on the Holston River. And there's a four-mile-long island uh, in that river called Long Island. And a guy created – he mixed tequila, gin, rum, vodka, and maple syrup, believe it or not. <laughs> and he created what he called the Long Island iced tea because of the color of it. And they claim in that area that that's where the Long Island iced tea came but. I don't know. I mean, it's triple sec, I think, in Long Island iced tea at the the way they are nowadays, which is how they invented it at the OBI. Okay, so yeah. that's my Long Island story. Awesome. Whether do have you, you know, have you ever had one, Sean? You know, I I have had one once or once or twice. Yeah, Paul knows I don't drink a whole lot. When we usually we go out, I'm I'm addicted to like Diet Mountain Dew or Diet Coke, right. and I occasionally have a beer, but it takes a lot for me to get there. Um, I think it's I think it was too many beer uh, beer. Um, parties at uh at Potsdam or something but yeah I've had a couple of them the problem with those is you have one and you're done right I mean yeah but that's not really the problem <laughs> that's look, true. The money, look at the money you save yeah it's true man that's got a lot in it but uh did you did you know Chris the Long Island iced tea to have been invented at either the OBI or at least on Long Island is that what you always always you thought? know I I never really thought about it much honestly it the story you told about was a Tennessee or whatever down south does 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 yeah. not surprise me at all that it would be that kind of thing. Um, that that totally kind of makes sense. And it's funny, you know, I've only had a Long Island iced tea a couple times in my life, and and usually it was it was at the end of the evening. And I I I, oh, I always be early. well I always assumed that the recipe was whatever alcohol was left behind the bar, you know. So it was like that's so, funny. Whatever, yeah. whatever was that's left probably that, how it was invented. Was a Long Island iced tea, you know. Bottom, bottoms up, enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But now that's, that's right. right. That's you, you, you've outdone yourself, Sean. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> nice work, Sean. Very Thank good, you. Very good. All right, John. So uh, I know uh, 
Paul, you haven't probably had dinner yet. And uh, Sean, you probably got some things to do. So listen, I, I want to thank you both for taking the time to be on tonight. I, I had a blast and I hope you guys enjoyed yourselves. It was fun. It was really I, fun. I really, I want to thank you guys for what you're doing with Moto America and, and just the whole team over there. Like, like I said, I, I just am getting no, no end of enjoyment and entertainment out of it. So, you know, I'll, I'll keep doing what I can from my end to just kind of help promote it and, and keep things rolling. And, and hopefully we get to just keep it growing, get more and more fans. No, I, I, I appreciate you having us on. And I also appreciate hearing your story. I like the fact that, you know, two years ago, you didn't necessarily know what Moto America was. Yeah. And now you're actually a fan and, and you're spreading the good word about it. And that helps a lot. I mean, it's, if, if, like the story that you tell about the fact that two years ago you came and, uh, and you kind of fell in love with it. I mean, if, just think if we could get everybody to, it, I don't know that anybody that's ever come to a Moto America race left not enjoying it. Yeah. So again, that backs up to like, you know, what can you be proud of? And I, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, it's like, if these, if people can come and enjoy it to the point where they want to come back and they want to tell their friends to come, I mean, that's how we get this thing to grow. So yeah. I appreciate your, uh, your efforts and all of oh, that. My, my pleasure. Yeah. I'll keep doing it. All right, gentlemen. So thank you again. Hope uh, you have, you guys have a, a good evening and uh, you get a little, Thanks, a little chance to decompress before the 2020 season starts <laughs> up. <laughs> Although. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you want, you know, halfway through next year or, or at the start of next year, whenever, if you want to have us back on and, you know, we can have Sean come up with another ridiculous story. Oh, ab can, uh, absolutely, we can, absolutely. We can definitely come back. I, absolutely, I, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure this this is going to be one of more my, one of my more popular episodes. So, yeah, that would be awesome. So. Well, let's hope so. You know, you know, it's funny, Chris. One of the things I want to tell you is tomorrow morning, uh, pretty bright and early, very bright and early for Paul. We're going to do our 50th podcast. You mentioned when we started last year, and um, yeah, so we're, we got one lined up for tomorrow with, um, with a rider with Drake Beecham. So a twins cup rider who I know, you know, awesome. um, so yeah, onward and upward with that. But, uh, yeah, your story is great about how you got involved with us and, and we love having, having you involved oh, with great. us. Exactly. Um, and thanks. For yeah. Us. So, uh, yeah, congrats on your 50th episode. Actually, it, it works out kind of cool because you guys will be my 30th episode. So I think that's a, 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 oh, a, yeah, a, a nice it. round number. So it work, works out good all yeah, around. Yeah. All right. <laughs> that's all right, right. gentlemen. Have yourselves a great evening. Thank you very much. All right. Thank Have you. Have a good night, Sean. Bye, guys. Yes. You, Paul. Talk to, talk to you right. soon. I'd like to give a huge thank you to Paul Carruthers and Sean Bice for joining me on the show. To learn more about Moto America, just go to motoamerica.com or search for Moto America on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You'll find some of the full races from this season and prior seasons available for free on their YouTube channel. You can also subscribe to their streaming service, Live Plus, next season to get access to all of the races live as they happen and also save for viewing at a later time. If you'd like to find out more about my podcast or find the earlier podcast episodes, just point your browser to soyouwantarideamotorcycle.com or find the link in the show notes included with this episode in your podcast app. If you have any questions about the show or the topics we discussed, or if you just want to send me feedback, you can email me at soyouwanttoride at yahoo.com. That address is also in the podcast notes. You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram, where I share lots of links to other people's motorcycle articles and video content, as well as providing a lot of my own motorcycle-related photos. Just search for So You Want to Ride, or find the links on my website or in the podcast notes. Please help me spread the word so we can grow my online and listener communities, Thank you for listening, and just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride.